days are here again, the skies above are clear again. Let us sing a song of cheer again, happy days are here again. Welcome to Rosa Remarks, the podcast where we chronologically explore the stories of Disney Comics legend Don Rosa, the Eisner Award-winning artist and writer of classic Scrooge McDuck and Donald Duck comic book stories. Join us as we discuss his storytelling, illustrations, cultural contexts, references, and inspirations from Karl Barks, appreciate hidden gags and Easter eggs, and whatever else animates me and my guests. Welcome, welcome to Rosa Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who loves duck comics, and um, I, for one, do love the sequels that Don Rosa does, but I know that's not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, today, we've got a very special story to cover. We're going to be talking about Return to Xanadu, and to do that, I get to welcome back a returning guest. Um, welcome. Thank you for coming back, Harry Flukes. How are you doing? Hello. Thank you for having me the second time. It's a return to Harry for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Very appropriate. It's the sequel to our first podcast. Um, Harry Flukes, you are a name that's very significant for Duck Comics fans. People, uh, people may know you. You are the you're the founder of a, a, the important website, Index, which is a great resource. And mm -hmm. uh, we got to talk about it last time, so we're not going to go into a lot of detail. But, but in short, Index is basically a resource where people get to um, catalog a lot of really detailed information about the Duck Comics um, it is just just an incredible resource. Very useful. It, it was down the last time we recorded. So <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> so I'm I'm very happy to have it up because it sure makes it easier to research these episodes. Um, so mm -hmm. Harry, we were talking a little bit beforehand, and you said it had been a while since you revisited this story, Return to Xanadu. Uh, did you did you have fun diving back into this one after after an absence? It's it's a return of sorts, I guess, all around. I'm uh, looking forward to having the fun because during this meeting, I will be looking at the pages again for the first time in over ten years, I think. Yeah, that'll be a really interesting perspective. Yes, I still remember a lot of things, but there may be some details that I forgot about. I hope there will be details that I forgot about because it's always fun to. Uh, to rediscover those things. Yeah, there there is something special about revisiting these stories. Um, I I I was commenting to you a moment ago that this is possibly the densest story that I've covered for maybe for any of these podcasts, right? Because this story is something that is doing this is doing something very special and um, very tricky. It's a it's a very deft thing to pull off. It is a sequel to two classic Bark stories. One much more than the other, obviously. But um, this is pulling together elements from the very famous, one, one of the all-time great adventures, Tra-La-La, as well as The Lost Crown of Genghis Khan, both pretty iconic Bark stories. Um, yeah. And, and 
you you mentioned Tralala right away. It's more or less a spoiler because people uh, shouldn't know before the second half of the story that this is about Tralala. Yeah, absolutely. That that is crucial. As you mentioned, it, it's hard to imagine someone listening to this podcast going in and not knowing you know, the, the, the big key thing, right? The, but but it, it is a very special thing. And I, I hope that no one is listening to this podcast before they get the, the joy of reading the story. Especially, uh, it's, it's funny, the intention was it to be a surprise. And then the Germans and the French and other translators made a title that says Return to Tralala, which is plain stupid. It's yes. spoiling all the fun. It's plain awful or plain stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, that we always do a little segment. It's worth kind of jumping ahead to it right now, maybe, because I, I like to do what I call pandering to my international listeners, right? Where we talk about some of the titles that are selected. And as you said, people really deserve to be uh, roasted a little bit, black, put on blast for spoiling the big surprise of the story. Uh, because as you said, the, the title of this one is Return to Xanadu. Um, so Return to Xanadu is a perfect title, right? Because basically what, what Rosa has done here is he has engaged in this really fascinating slide of, we're, we're looking at a very dense story that is weaving together these barks, the follow-up to these barks tales, along with a lot of history, literature. Um, it, it's really impressive how this was almost the, the way everything comes together, right? Because um, you have the, the name Xanadu and the name Shangri-La are, are two, two essentially lost legendary cities. And Rosa is going to equate them. It's going to confabulate them for this story. So the idea here is that Xanadu is enough of an icon that it's supposed to like draw the reader and distract the reader from realizing what what we're about to lead up to. But let me ask you, Harry, did do you remember when you originally read this, did the story play out for you the way that it was, quote, supposed to? What, what did, did you get the big surprise or, or was it kind of spoiled for you? I think I, well, this, this is decades ago. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting old but i think i remember um getting the surprise and the surprise being look, looking at the big splash panel welcome back to xanadu and i thought oh yes this is brilliant this is perfect i think i remember right. yeah so so for you it worked the way it was supposed to and you also what i'm also implying here is that you didn't figure it out right because some of the joy in this story is that rosa has clearly constructed it in a way so that the reader is supposed to arrive at that panel and they're supposed to have kind of an aha moment, right? That they're supposed to be like, oh my goodness, you know, he is assuming that people are familiar enough with the original story, but that at the beginning of the story, we're not going to be like, oh, this is leading up to Tralala. Clearly the ducks are about to arrive at Tralala, right? If he is successful with this story, you are not going to see it coming, but it should feel very obvious in hindsight. And, yes. and that, that's how it landed for you as far as you yes. remember 
<laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you, for me, it, it hit absolutely perfect, right? Um, Disney Comics published this in the States, right? And they published it as a two-parter, which yes. I don't I don't usually like, but in the that, case of this, it did work out very well, right? That's also the first place where I read it. And I remember having to wait two months to read the second right. part. Yeah. It was very annoying, but it's still memorable. And as a surprise, in the second part, Rosa had one extra page for summing up the previous part. Yes. And most of that page was original artwork. So that's uh, a nice extra. Yeah, it, it is. Like, uh, it's it's unusual that you would kind of create new art instead of repurposing it. So I, I remember this vividly because of how this story hit, right? It even had a non-Rosa cover for the first part, right? Um, yes. And, and I, I remember it was like, there was some copy that said, this is it, the sequel you didn't expect, right? <laughs> I, I was fortunate enough to have, D Disney Comics did this right. They made sure to republish tra-la-la several months in advance, maybe a year or so in advance, I think, in one of their big um, graphic albums, mm, which is the okay. first time that I read it. I, I, I'm I not positive that I had read The Lost Crown beforehand. I'm pretty sure I did. I, I didn't own it. I think it was an unfortunate case where I had the comic and, and read it and, and lost it somehow, because I think it was but, published in DuckTales number one. But the story has enough uh, explanation that you can miss the original bar stories and still enjoy reading. It's, it's explained true. enough. Yeah, and that's more the case for, for The Lost Crown, I would say. I would say Tra La La, it's, it is fundamentally more of a sequel. Um, plus, you know, both of these stories had iconic adaptations in the DuckTales show um, that, that I had seen both of them. Neither of them follow closely enough and they're, and they're not best, but but they're, they're pretty worthwhile episodes as far as that series goes so so you know these are iconic bark stories and i i just i really do remember it when at, at the end of that part one we'll, we'll get into this through the story but th this is important enough for me to talk about up front that i i was so impressed by how deftly he pulls off this trick so let's go ahead we're going to rewind a little bit and talk about kind of the details of publication in this story here um we're looking at return to xanadu very crucially, published first in, uh, let's see, March of 1991. And that would have been in Anders And and Company and Co. Uh, number 1991B13. I guess that means it was probably the 13th publication no, in 1991. It was the, yeah, well, it, it is a weekly and it was an extra to the 13th weekly. Okay. So, so every week what... every week has a number. So the thirteenth week you get weekly number thirteen. But they also got B thirteen, which was an just an extra comic for subscribers to that weekly. Nice, nice. So it was special, right? Yeah. Um and, and in the U.S., it was Uncle Scrooge number 261 and 62. And I think this is the first time I remember one of these duck adventures being serialized. I was pretty used to it with the Floyd Gottfredson comics being like reprinted in Gladstone. But I didn't, I didn't remember seeing this in, in yeah. one of the duck adventures. 
there may have been a Scarpa story or two that also were, were duck stories that were serialized in the Gladstone period. Yeah, that might maybe have been I'm around. mixing up with with uh, Gemstone. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I do. Yeah, but but around that time, this this wasn't super common. So that I think that was part of what made this feel special. Um, and that's because this is a pretty long story. You know, it's a thirty pager, and and if I remember right, that's probably the longest story up to this point that Rosa has done. Yeah, I'm looking at my spreadsheet here. Um, it is it is the longest story. It's very dense. It's very packed. It's maybe even if you add the one extra page, it's 31 pages. It yeah. must be a Don Rosa longest story ever. Yeah, there's a couple longer ones later, but um, really, but it's definitely. Yeah, I think the uh, Kalevala story is. I think that one clocks in at 33, oh, yes. if I remember right. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But but yeah, it's definitely a rarity as far as these things go, and and that certainly made it easier to see it split up. Right. Um. This one's come out. I check in on one of the things I use Index for is uh, it's had publication in 17 countries. 79 publications overall, five times in the U.S., um, which feels less often than I would have expected for how iconic I think this story is. But but it also probably makes it hard to reprint because of its length, right? It may be that not all uh, luxury reprints are listed in Index. Yeah, I think I remember a, a Rosa special that came out recently. Maybe it's not in Index yet. Always possible, but I find it interesting to look in. Um, we mentioned that mm. those those titles from around the world. So I I always, it, it always amuses me. You're hailing from the Netherlands, right? Dutch is your native language. So okay. Harry, I, I like to take on the Dutch title so that I can, uh, so that you can chuckle at how badly I mangle the pronunciation. Um, So I will say that the Dutch title got it right. So good on them, right? The first time around, at least they called it, it it's going to translate to return to Xanadu. Um, so they're not spoiled. They're not giving away the store. And, and it is um, Terugkir Narzanadu. You, you said it earlier. Narzanadu. Say, say it one more time. Terugkir Narzanadu. All right. So yeah. I got to remember the G makes a G sound. Terugkir Narzanadu. All right. So people always say the Dutch sounds like you clear your throat. Right. Uh, and, and let's see. Do you want to um, mention one of the titles that I texted you? <laughs> Well, by French, I had French, so I can say uh, Retour à Zanadu, which is French. Yeah. Some, some reprints, it says Retour à Tralala. Yeah. So they did it and, right yeah. sometimes. Yes. And in Italy, no, in France, I had France. In Germany, it says Wiedersehen mit Tralala. Yeah. Or in a good reprint, it says Rückkehr nach Zanadu, yeah. which is a literal translation of Return to Zanadu. Right. But that's only in, in later reprints that know what they are doing. Exactly. You have to, you have to, the editor really has to do their due diligence to get the, the point, right? The, the whole, the whole, you're, you're supposed to be taking the reader on a journey, right? That, that's what Rosa is doing. He's taking, he's taking the reader on this journey of discovery, 
And and the editor can basically mess that up completely. Um, and and to Disney Comics credit, you know, the way that they they might have been a little bit sensationalist when they build it as the sequel you didn't expect, but at least they <laughs> didn't um they didn't throw it all away in the title. You know, they even right. had right. they even had like a really intriguing cover on that very first part one where they get into Rose's cover itself. So um even if I don't love seeing stories split up, I, I'm grateful that they um, were able to preserve the mystery the way that they did it. Um, so, you know, Barks, th- this, we mentioned the two stories that this is going to reference. The other thing that this is referencing and the, the important history here is the Samuel Coleridge poem. Um, th- this might make some of the international publication a little bit tricky, right? Because this is an English language poem. It's not kind of, it's probably not part of the canon of other people's literature, but Coleridge is a very famous English language poet. Um, and this mm-hmm. is a really well-known work. You know, I I do think this was the first time that I learned of it, but it really did stoke an interest for me in this, and it became one of my favorite poems. Um, It it is legendarily unfinished, you know, which I think kind of adds to the air of mystery, but but it is referring to this kind of fabled land of Xanadu, which is is not so fabled. If you look in the, there, there is some historical, you know, this was genuinely the capital of the, the great Hans um, in the Mongol Empire. I think it's actually located in northern China, um, but it still has this real air of mystery to it. There's still this kind right. of aura of lead around. It's it's a remote city. No one gets there. So the people who got there made it more exciting than it actually was, probably. Right. But it was there. Right. And and right. everything to do with the you know Far East. This is kind of weaving together some of the old Marco Polo stories. Um, um, Rosa is even going to mention Prester John in in the story as the nephews are kind of referencing in their Woodchuck's guidebooks, who is kind of this like legendary figure. Um, uh, it, it was kind of anytime the U- Europeans of that era talked about some kind of like, it was essentially this lost Christian outpost in the Far East. So it was, he was like this repository for all these tales of the Far East. So, so it's really perfectly constructed when you have have these two different mythical lands and all Rosa is doing is saying hey what if they're the same place you know um Shangri-La is, is more recent than than the idea of Xanadu but it also is one of those things that really entered pop culture because of the the book The Lost Horizon the Frank Capra movie we talked about this at length Barks Remarks episode on Tralala but um th- there is so much going on here Harry are you ready to, to get in and talk about the story itself yes uh, before i forget to mention it yeah. uh, i remember that i liked the artwork of this story very much this might be the the first rosa story where i really liked the artwork chronologically from the beginning yeah so he, he was really getting into doing the artwork just right yeah i think that's worth calling out you know the the artwork is really really lovely there's a lot of detail um and and tralala is such a great subject because it's such a beautiful lush place it and really did, did 
did some effort in doing the half pages, right? And, yeah. and the ducks also look almost like they should be. So I was very happy when I first saw this story, not just for reading, but also for looking at it. Yeah. It was really a joy real, looking at the pages. It, it's a real showcase. Uh, do you, I remember too, when these came out bi-monthly, as you mentioned, or I don't remember, this might've been a monthly publication. Regardless, I would just sit there and reread the first one over and over. So I, uh, I said I had to wait two months because my Amsterdam shop not always got the comics after right after they were published. Right. Sometimes I had to wait longer. And I remember having to wait two months. May have been a monthly, but that's just distribution to Amsterdam. It's, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, Rosa has some good commentary in, in the back, you know, of the Fanographics volume. We're not going to be regurgitating every detail there. But, but he does note that, you know, this was something that he was both um, assigned to do and eager to do, right? I, if, you, if you read that commentary during this era, Egmont was very happy to have him now working directly for them. And they wanted these sequels. You know, he, he was asked to do these. It sounds like he was given a little bit of latitude with the ones that he did. Um, but but it, is, it is pretty special how he's going to pull these two stories together. So, so let's get into it. Um, Tralala opens up with, uh, ooh, I said Tralala. So Return to Xanadu <laughs> is going to open up here with a, a framing device that Rosa has already used, at least in, in his very first story. Um, and he's going to do a lot, qu quite a bit, right? He likes this. And, and I like this a lot too, where Scrooge is kind of reminiscing in his trophy room, essentially, yes. with all the, the treasures around him. Um, it is... It is it's something very special for a lot of fans, and it probably irritates some other fans, right? Because it it's it feels very on the nose. Barks himself wasn't really about, you know, oh, Scrooge is this great adventure. Each treasure hunt was kind of its own thing. But this really weaves all these adventures together and makes him more of a mythic hero. And, and so Scrooge and the Ducks are kind of reminiscing about the various adventures and treasures that they've found. Um, and, you know, they're specifically looking at the crown of Genghis Khan and kind of the, the gag, the shtick here is that Scrooge is reminiscing about his adventures and Donald is pointing out that they were all there. Um, and, and Scrooge is kind of, you know, talking, referencing that, hey, you were paid handsomely for it. Um, and, and the nephews, you sense that it doesn't really matter to them who gets the credit. That is something that matters more to Scrooge. And that Donald really doesn't want to be left out. And and uh, they they get into kind of the backstory of the lost crown of Genghis Khan. And I, I really like that, Harry, because um, there is, in that original adventure, you know, Barks kind of hits the ground near the end of the crown story. And um, we don't really know anything about the backstory. So it was almost tailor-made to make a little sequel about how it was actually found. Yes, that might also be one of the Barks purists' uh, uh, objections to Rosa's sequels, that uh, Rosa is filling in the gaps in Barks' world. Right. And probably Barks purists have their own vision of the world, and then someone fills in the gaps quite differently or slightly differently, and they're annoyed that it's not the way they envisioned it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that happens. But that, that's Rosa, exactly right. Rosa is, is a Barks fan as well, and not a Barks purist, so he feels free to fill in the gaps in Barks' story. Right. And and for me, it lands, it, it hit just right. But I understand. 
understand yeah. if if you're a purist. Um, and and what Rosa, okay, so he essentially says, um, when the nephews entreat him to talk about how the crown was found, he says that some Sherpas in a yak farm of his kind of heard the story of it, and he, um, it's not the most interesting. It's basically a trading tale, but it it fills that gap in nicely. And um, what Rosa is going to do is he's going to use another of his favorite devices. You know, he makes the Woodchuck's guidebook more, even more of a kind of legendary, um, more thematic than even Barks did. And the nephews are going to kind of look and see what information there is about Crown. So this is where they reference, they connect it to Marco Polo, uh, during his search for the realm of Prester John. And, you know, he claims to have found, quote, Prester John's land and told Kublai Khan, of Khan is the descendant, of course, of Genghis Khan. And there is a reference in the guidebook to Kublai having moved the treasure of the Mongol horde. I, Harry, I, I love that uh, scene where that panel where Scrooge essentially ricochets off of his <laughs> treasure case. Um, at his shelf. I remember cracking up at that panel as he learns that he's now on the trail of the entire treasury of the biggest empire in history. Yes, it's a, this page is also a nice mixture of background gags and boring text. Right. Mainly, it's, it's, it's not boring, but if you have a lot of text, you need some distractions from that to keep it interesting for the reader. Yes, exactly. And it's it's on, on the first panel, Donald saying, we being uh, a reference to what happened on page one. And the third panel, Donald yawning for all the boring text. And then the fourth panel with Scrooge is what you described, uh, noticing the biggest empire in history. That's And then, yeah, the, the, also the sixth panel where uh, Scrooge is doubling the annual donation to the junior bootjacks, but that will still be the same amount. <laughs> that That is a great bit, right? Yeah. The joke being that zero times two is still zero. Well, um, he doesn't say that, but he implies that, and that it, makes it that Right, makes it exactly. Yes. The way it's implied is very funny. So, like, the readers, we the readers, here are almost like a, a dog being given um, its medication, you know, wrapped in a little piece of ground beef or something, right? Because yeah, Rosa yeah. has to do this setup, but he is he's making it more interesting. Um, and and you know, so this is all going to lead Scrooge, of course, to wanting to embark the the crown is essentially the key to the rest of this vast treasure. So they're going to embark, and uh, it's going to transition very quickly. But um, but it's done with a, a very funny gag panel where um, Donald threatens that it'll be a cold day before he goes on another screwball treasure hunt for 30 cents an hour. And and then he is immediately uh, frigid in a, the same pose in a parka, clearly in the Himalayas. Um, a lot of groundwork for those two pages, right, Harry? Yes. I, I wonder how the cold day is translated to other languages. So I'm trying to look that up now. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a fun thing to point out, right? Because um, it's, it's, quote, a cold day in hell is the expression, mm. the full expression, which we're not going to reference hell in a Dis- Disney comic. But, um, but you know, it's enough to just say it's, it'll be a cold day. So yeah. that, that is a little bit idiomatic, but, but it seems like something that, that must work to me in other languages, I would guess. At, at the time, Rosa was told not to let the artwork depend on word jokes or any other things that are not translatable. 
Right. So Rosa was told not to let the artwork depend on those jokes, but he still right. made the jokes in the text like he did here. It'll be a cold day. So so essentially we're back in the Himalayas. This is a, a playground that Barks spent quite a bit of time at, right? So this should feel, this. Fe there's a little bit of borrowed credibility, right? Because this references so many Barks stories. We, we were also here in Trail of the Unicorn. Um, not exactly, but um, so Scrooge is essentially going to encounter the old goat herder that traded. We've got a funny bit where it, it is McDuck's yaks, but it's under new ownership now. And, yes. and when he shows this gentleman the crown, he is able to point out where he found it, right? So we're literally just going back to, to where it, it's, it's a pretty basic thing to do. And there was previously no reason for Scrooge to track it down to that point of origin because he didn't suspect that it might lead to more treasure but it feels very organic um and then there's also a funny bit where where um the ducks come in riding a yak but now they leave because this man has bartered uh this piece of information for their yak um and donald is is kvetching this is that guy is a sharper yak trader than you ever were <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I really like that bottom panel on that third page there the the you know storm that they appear to be hiking through it looks it looks really cool it's an otherwise um it's a panel that i wouldn't have paid too much attention it may look very cool but also very cold yes if i may say so yeah absolutely it's a good atmosphere and and, and it gives uh, donald a reason to complain yes <laughs> yeah donald complains a lot in this story and in rose's stories and and reasonably so frankly the junior woodchucks are are very hardy and very um game for all of this so so th this next this next sequence harry is um is very important right what's gonna happen here is that they're gonna track the um they're gonna find the cave the, the cavern that uh leads to the empty case where the crown was found and and they're gonna see a couple of what are trail markers you know they're they're covered in ice and the nephews are able to identify them as ancient tibetan shortens um which is not a word that i've ever encountered in my life anywhere else and um you know i looked it up there's a lot of history in here a lot of actual information those are like buddhist shrine markers um and and you know that kind of indicates that they are on the trail of something bigger and we do get a nice little bit of kind of disney slapstick how it appears to be a dead end when they come to the case but donald falls through a crack in the ice into a larger cave and yeah, it, and, it and, is again a nice combination of slapstick and theory you yeah. learn you learn some words you never heard of like jordan's Mm -hmm. or I, I don't know how you pronounced it. And you see the, the funny thing of Donald falling through the wall. It's, uh, it's, uh, I like it. It, it is some <laughs> great table setting. I also really like seeing the spot in the ice where you can see that the, um, you know, the, the shape of the crown, it kind of gives some gravity to it because this is something that the duck reader is almost certainly familiar. Um, and, and now th this is important too, right? The next essential four no there's a big part of this story harry i gotta count it up it's most of page four five six seven eight nine um <laughs> 
it it is like a good 20% or so of the story is going to be spent trekking through on this multi-day subterranean hike. And and that's crucial because it is the it paces the story really well and it kind of lulls the reader in when we spend so much time in, underground here and then we like come out and and experience what we're going to experience it's a good sleight of hand and i think it's very deliberate how much time they spend down well it's it's also important to show how the ducks enter the, the xanadu valley because it also shows how they cannot go out right or maybe they can <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is going to add to the to the remoteness and the later yeah. peril of it. Yes. And um, and it's going to give them a, a it's going to make for an interesting setting as they talk. Right. The, the kids see this underground river and that's what's going to evoke Coleridge's poem for them, um, because Scrooge is able to read the ancient Catholic that says, whosoever walks this trail beside my sacred river, Alf, beware the wrath of Kublai. Khan. Um, and the nephews start to mention it was a miracle of rare device, a sunny pleasure, a sunny pleasure dome with caves of ice. Um, and, and the nephews essentially are going to educate these young Disney comics readers the, about this very famous poem. Um, and they mention that this is the most wondrous valley on earth, the land of milk and honey. I really like Donald's line at the end of this page. He says, I'll tell you who'll get the treasure and who'll end up with the cow juice and bee grape that's that's <laughs> very funny writing in english and it may not be something that is like a pun based thing but it i'm sure it works much better in english than most of the languages this i think it worked that worked in translation as well because uh, milk can be cow cow juice in cow any ju language yeah. and bee gravy like this so well good <laughs> And so but I, I just realized that the nephews know the poem by head. They're not reading it from the, the guidebook. They just heard the word elf, the, the river name, and then they recollect the poem. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you that that works, right? Because this is one of the, he is one of the more famous poets, right? I mean, mm. most. So they, um, they, they probably have learned about the poem at school. So they just remember it from having had it uh, a few months before maybe and that's Possibly. why they can recollect yeah yeah this could it's at least reasonable and they are more curious than the average child and and you know <laughs> yes, um yes. dead english poets were probably m more studied in the 50s when this is quote supposed to take place right but but it is a famous enough poem that's not out of the realm but at least we in the 90s could say we read about this poem in a comic book right exactly i don't remember what um Later, I do remember having one of those moments that I get from these comment comics where I'm like, oh, I, I already know about this poem because of this comic. This is uh, it gave me a little bit of cultural cachet that I wouldn't have otherwise had as a teenager. Maybe I think a lot of this, uh, a lot of my knowledge, especially about American history and, and culture is from Bark stories and Rosa stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Likewise. <laughs> 
So again, the ducks are going to spend kind of an unusual amount of time here. We they, They're actually going to camp out underground. You sense that they're walking. Um, Rose's narrator box mentions on, on a later page, only a timepiece can determine when night falls on the mountains far above. But once it does, you know, so they're kind of like talking around the campfire. They're, they're talking more about the poem based on books that Coleridge read that were ancient even back then. And and um and and they they are going to actually read several stanzas and and this is important enough that I'm going to read them I'm going to read these stanzas where uh, right out of the Junior Woodchuck's guidebook in Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure dome decree where Alf the sacred river ran through caverns measureless to man down to its sunless sea so twice five miles of fertile ground with walls and towers were girdled round and there were gardens bright with sinuous rills where blossomed many an incense-bearing tree. And here were forests ancient as the hills and folding sunny spots of greenery. And at that point, you know, the ducks are going to, that poem is really going to evoke something in Donald, and he's going to reference how that place sounds sort of familiar. And we're also going to get this kind of like faraway panel envisioning what it must have looked. And, and it's a deft trick he pulls off right here, Harry. The, the funny thing is that that picture also shows a whirlpool that will be an important thing in the rest of the story. So right. the reader won't realize that maybe, but if you reread it, you'll notice it. Yeah, and crucially, the whirlpool is not like as big as it's going to be, but it's reasonable because this is kind of, this panel is meant to reference what it what the poem evokes to the ducks, right? Um, so it looks reminiscent of Tralala, and, and there may have been a few readers who are like, oh, they're about to encounter Tra-la-la. For my part, I was 11 years old. I, I did not see it coming. Neither um, did I when I was 30-something, uh, 40-something. <laughs> there you go. Wait a minute. I, I think I was 30, 30 when I first read this story, 1992. Yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. 91, 92 in, in America. Yeah, very late. I, I guess so December 91 cover date means it must have actually hit the newsstand in 92, if, if I remember right. Is that how it works? I can't. I, I think always... the other way around. Yeah, yeah. The Must other have way been around. In, in, in the fall of '91. But I may have had my first copy of that early '92. I don't. I don't yeah. recall. But uh, right. that's why I was uh, 29, 30, and was still a child reading comic books and right. enjoying them very much. <laughs> and I'm I'm very happy to be able to look back at this and still get that shiver of enjoyment. Um. Yeah. So we've still got a few pages. I I think this may be one of the things that people don't necessarily remember if they go back and revisit. Like part one, nearly half of it is underground if you're like remembering the old you know um the old how it was serialized but um eventually um and and it's clear that they've been marching for days too eventually mm. they come across a like sluice gate where an ancient bridge has rotted away um and this does feel very significant right the reader can tell that there is some some there's some weight to this um they're able to look through they're able to recognize as the work of the con and they're able to look through this sluice gate eventually to see this immense cavern 
um, that, you know, references another stanza and the nephews are able to, to recognize it as the, that Xanadu must be directly above them, whereupon Scrooge is kind of doing his gold sniffing thing and he can smell the golden <laughs> gems. This whole story, he's sniffing out that he's on the trail of something huge. I'm um, not sure he is just, uh, that's just a matter of speech or that he literally smells the golden gems nearby. Right. It's, it's uh, yeah. It could also be, be that it's just eager to, to get to the treasure. Yeah, it could be read either way. Uh, Harry, is this one of those half-page panels that, you know, you think about when you think about this story? <laughs> no, I should say. But it is a nice panel, but it, it's not the one that stands out. They're right. coming on a, a few pages I, I do like okay. this panel a lot. There, if you think about if you think about this cavern not filling up with water, um, you know, I, I think you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit that there can be kind of this cavity that remains, you know, air filled. Um, but this is a cool enough panel, and it, I, to me, it feels very portentous. You know, it mm -hmm. really, um, it's very cool. And and so you know, they figure out because of the way that this bridge is rotted away, the only only way to get across is to actually close the sluice mechanism that has the river flowing, you know, the sacred river out. Um, and and this again, we Rosa makes sure to show that it requires all of the ducks except for Scrooge, who's directing, to turn this ancient mechanism, uh, you know, which is going to be a very dramatic moment later in the story. Um, and the other really portentous, ominous moment is that when they do cross the river, the door is barred, but from the, quote, wrong side, as though as though Kublai Khan wanted to keep people in rather than keep people out. So I'm wondering, do you remember, did any of, did this read as very ominous to you, the way I think it's, quote, supposed to? Yeah, I, I remember reading this, but as I predicted a few minutes ago, I didn't remember the details. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice it's one of the nephew's idea to close the sluice gate and it's Scrooge's idea to open the door so if anyone is to blame uh, everyone is to blame except Donald on this point yeah for for messing up the way things work in the right and and the way it's constructed none of this feels unreasonable right like they're not going to it it makes sense that they're not going to read this essentially as a doomsday device um right right so we we sense that we're all Almost at the end of the journey here, uh, you know, they the door closes behind them and the bar latches. And essentially, they have no choice but to, quote, worry about that later. Um, and Donald reads, Donald says something. Do you mind reading this part, Harry? That That, that is an echo. I'm, I sure hope this place is all it's cracked up to be. If it isn't, oh, what a jam we're in. That's what you mean? And that's, that's where exactly. says, oh, hush. That's what you said last time. So and that's the th second reference to someone vaguely recalling that it happened before. Right. Last so, time? What last time? I don't know, but there's something familiar about all, all this, uh, Scrooge. Right. So so what, what Rose is getting at here is that for his characters, there's something kind of like faintly playing at the edges of their brains, that, that there's something that they know about. This. And, and that's what the reader is supposed to feel as well. And it's what I felt, you know, I was like, that maybe it's... It's, it's 
almost certainly the writing is leading me to that, but this just works so well. Um, and here's the moment, right, where where this story works so much better if you are familiar with Tra-La-La. We've already encountered the empty crown box, and, and now we're going to encounter a certain other empty box that, that is a return of sorts. Um, Harry, what do the ducks stumble upon near the edge of this cave? Well, they got a, a box which says nerve tonic property of Scrooge McDuck, which now make the ducks realize we have been here before. We all have. Then they need one more panel where uh, a nephew says, welcome back, Uncle Scrooge. And then you have the one of the beautiful half pages of this story, art wise and uh, text wise. Welcome back to Xanadu. Welcome back to Tralala with a beautiful view of the almost entire valley of Tralala. Yeah. It was a, a really, well, it's pleasant artwork, pleasant plot twist in, in one splash panel. I loved it. I still do. I, I love it too. This really does give me chills, right? Because it is, for, for me, I, I can't speak for everyone. There are probably people who are annoyed at this or who saw it coming um but the little tiny gentle bit of hand holding that the writing of this plot did for me it just it worked so perfectly i remember being blown away and realizing oh my goodness of course so i had to immediately reread it right to to go back and now read it from a new perspective um and that transition where they say welcome back to xanadu which is where they think they've been heading instead it's welcome back to Tra-La-La. I'm so grateful that I got to read the Tra-La-La story a few months before this. Mm. And even though it was a recent reread for me, I did not see this twist coming. It, it was just something very special for me. I wonder how this which effect this has on a reader who doesn't know the Bark story. I said yeah. before that the story can be read without reading the Bark stories because things are explained, but the surprise part is gone if you don't know anything about Tralala. Right. Yeah, and I can only suppose, like you, I think it I think it must still be a very effective, very enjoyable story because the writing is doing its due diligence, but there is no getting around the fact that there's like a certain plot beat here, the discovery of the nerve tonic um, doesn't really have that significance otherwise. So so this is one of the handful of stories that is kind of catering to a, to a very specific audience of Bark's appreciators. And it's not ignoring people who don't have that background, but you're, you're going to get something extra. Um, so Harry, the cover that they used for the end of, um, you know, for the part one is essentially this panel, right? Where the ducks are looking out over the valley. Um, but isn't but that from a, their perspective. Isn't that a cover for part two? Right. So so it, it is essentially the other oh. perspective. Right? Yes. So yeah. that's a really cool trick, right? One 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 of the covers is us looking at the ducks, looking out overlooking the valley. And it's not as nice of a cover as part two, but um, but it's I think it's just a cool trick that they played on the reader there. So this is another kind of like table setting sequence, right? Um, the ducks have come out in this lush valley. The nephews, it's clicked pretty quickly for them. They're like, oh, of course, these aspects of the poem were referencing this, you know, about tra-la-la. And Scrooge and Donald are just kind of in a daze, especially Scrooge. And, and it's just 
it's throwing him so much that he's walking through, uh, looking at the valley. Um, it really works well that we've spent so much time in this dark, dingy, gray cave, right? Now we come out on the other side and it's green. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's really a ta-da moment. It really is. There are moments here where I can picture a musical score to this story, you know, that, that would have been very effective. Um, and Scrooge, By the way, yeah. for, for this half-page panel, the, the, the extra page that Rosa did for part two also has a half-page with the same scene, but completely redrawn. Yeah. So effort did, uh, Rosa did the effort twice to make a nice picture of it. Yeah, it's true. It, it works really well and it's beautiful and it's rewarding for the reader to have this new art for effectively catching yeah. us up. Um, and I don't have that page in front of me, but I think it effectively, it, it even, I don't think they even reuse the, yeah, look at that. It is, it, it is you, totally if... new art. It's, it's new scenes from, yeah. it's unusual too that that big half page panel is on the bottom of the page, right? Because usually those big splash panels would have been at the top. But of course, for the story structure here, it works better to keep it at the bottom of page. Yeah, um, it's yeah. At the end of the previous page, the reader already starts to su suspect something, and the four panels after that are going more and more towards the the, the moment that they realize it's from a lot. So putting that on another page wouldn't have worked. No. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But um, on the next next few panels, the nephew tries to explain why why Tralala is fitting in with the poem. And then Rosa had to cheat a bit, talking about rock walls and towering mountains, because the poem is talking about walls and towers, and they're not really walls and towers in Tralala. They're they're rocks and mountains. Right. But apart from that, the rest fits. Well, and and I feel like it worked well because like it is poetic license essentially right um that's how a lot of poetry works and, uh, and we're... it's it's amazing how much fits and there are only very few things that need to be, need to be twisted a bit to make everything that's, right i think rosa did it before or after to, to make things fit almost exactly and then twist it a bit to make it fit exactly yeah as you say it's amazing how much it fits right um and and some of that is like the the coincidence of this story and and these two existing bark stories and how much they line up if you put them together in this way. But most of it, frankly, is down to his writing and his research, because a good writer is going to make you, quote, feel like they're discovering this coincidence where it all fits together um, very well. He himself, in his commentary, kind of marvels at how well they fit together. Mm -hmm. And there is like a certain sense of, oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Confluence there. Um, but most of it should be credited to his writing and his stage setting. So, so anyway, oh, also, we've, also his uh, research. Uh, yes. I, I'm sure half of the work of this story was doing the research for the facts. Yeah. And Rosa always said that the real life facts are much more interesting than any made up story. Yeah. And he tries to prove that he's right in that by writing these stories. And, and he is absolutely right, because the key thing here is even if you don't already know 
about the poem and the facts of Genghis Khan and Marco Polo, the way he lays it out, it makes it feel very earned and it gives it a lot more, you know, credence, a lot more credibility. It does yes. make it feel so much more rewarding. So mm -hmm. we've been dwelling on this transition a lot here, Harry, but that's because it is so significant. It's it's one of these cool moments. I will mention too that I realized one of the satisfying things about this story overall is that it has this moment of revelation, but it's all these, there's a lot of moments of revelation in this, more than you might expect. It feels like, you know, here's his big plot twist. No, there's still more to come. Um, so, you know, now they're going to enter the valley and at first Scrooge is going to feel a bit cocky where he's going to kind of process, ha, these Tralalalians, they, um, they acted so poor and humble and simple, uh, and he's going to kind of march in to find the treasure. But then Donald is correctly pointing out that the, the under the last circumstances where they left, uh, again, a reminder for anyone, Scrooge, you know, he was looking for a simpler place to. To, um, treat his nerves kindly and ended up through a series of mishaps ordering plane loads of bottle caps to be flown in because the natives he convinced them essentially that they were as the only outside metal they essentially served as like cash system but they accidentally were going to fill the valley with these bottle caps right so they were they were almost chased out of tralala and they only were able to like leave under um pretty like dire circumstances only to they thought never return it um, was uh, one of Barks's nice uh, efforts to teach children about economics. Yeah. Was yeah. that the Tralala story is a great story for that. It is a great metaphor for mm -hmm. economics and also just kind of morality. Um, it, it's wonderful. If yeah. you, on, on Index, that story is typically ranked number two for every Disney comics when you look at user reviews. So, um, so Scrooge is surprised though when he encounters one of the locals to realize that they're not mad at him that they have kind of reverted without the outside influence you know of, of the ducks they've gone back to their simple peaceful pastoral ways um and that only lasts until he shows them why they the ducks have returned by revealing that lost crown and asking for more information about where it came from <laughs> where <laughs> he's whereupon, done it again <laughs> he's done it again yeah that pretty much sums it up right where they say he's done it again brought another plague to our happy land um and then and, a nice reference to plain awful right another return to um, first plain awful and now here uncle scrooge we can't take you anywhere yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's a neat reference so the ducks are brought back to Ladi Da, who is the leader of the valley. I think he's supposed to be kind of first among equals, right? Um, he knows about the crown. They all know about the crown. We sense that he knows a little bit more about it. And and Scrooge is very accusatory, right? He's like, where is the treasure? Um, Ladi Da is denying. He says that, you know, we have no use for such worldly things. We believe in the riches of heart and mind. And and uh, 
and <laughs> and we're gonna kind of gloss over that, right? Because the nephews are gonna point out that re their real concern is getting home because you know they they are trapped essentially. They close that mechanism, so they're now stuck there. And and La Di Da is pointing out that they can't they can't purchase porters and guides to take them through that perilous trek um, now because the locals have no reason to leave their happy homes. He is essentially pointing out that, you know, you might want to consider just staying here for real this time um, and throwing yourself into the the ways of tra la la. Um, and and this is this is a, a transit another transitional page. This might happen a little bit quick, right? Where Donald and the nephews kind of resign themselves pretty fast to the idea again of living in tra la la. I I think for the purposes of the story, it makes sense. But um, I always did feel like, oh, you know, we're, we're over the course of this page, they're falling under Tralala's spell pretty quickly here. Well, it is explained that they have no choice. Right. They're prison, prisoners of paradise. What what bothers me a bit is that there's, it's not explained how the Tralalians got rid of the cap bottles, the bottle caps. I mean, they're all happy now, so they must have got rid of all the, the bottle caps somewhere, but how? Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and, and that's really important, actually, that we don't well on that, right? It it I, I think initially we're meant to write it off as comic book logic, maybe. Mm. Rosa almost he can't let you think about it too much. You you have to <laughs> you almost have to move on, right? There's no reference. The ducks aren't yes. they don't they don't wonder aloud. Oh, I wonder what they did with the bottle caps because you you can't. The the story beat coming up later, it's very important that he he make you not think I don't think that they even reference does he even reference the bottle cap directly mm. at this point? Uh, when I look back, no. It's no. not sore at me. Certainly not. Everything is back to normal now. Friendship is still what we value most. And that's the yeah. only explanation. <laughs> and, and so that's obviously a very deliberate. So I, yeah. I think he handled that perfectly, even if the reader, maybe the reader should think about it, but he moves it quickly along enough that you can't dwell on. Mm. Um, it, it is very quick yeah. paced here. It's a contrast to the walking through the tunnel for days right. sequence, um, which is very And also deliberate. a contrast to the what's coming that they spent at least two pages in Tralala. Right. Trying yeah, we to get fit enough. in. <laughs> Right. That, that's a cool sequence. Boy, I, I didn't even mention how much I love the birds here in this story. The the idyllic drawing of a hummingbird on one of those on one of these pages and the birds of paradise, you might call them in that splash panel. Really beautiful. Um, the previous splash panel. I, I love those. Yeah. I must admit that I didn't even see the hummingbird, but that's due to the covering of the page. Mm. Now that you mention it, I, I see it flying here. But that's something that Barks green. did a lot. He yeah. foregrounded birds in a lot of his best stories. So th this is a cool sequence here, right? The ducks resi resigning themselves to living in Tralala. It's basically handled one, one character or set of characters at a time as Scrooge is walking through the valley, kind of grumping about what sentimental drivel we belong in civilization. Um, and, and the nephews are distracted by the wildlife and the idyllic peacefulness um, and Scrooge keeps ranting, pointing out how much backbreaking work it's going to take. Sure, it's 
it's satisfying to you know work how how satisfying a good day's work can feel and donald is distracted by helping a gentleman rewheel his heart um and he essentially turns around to find that donald and the nephews have been successfully like it's wrong to say tempted right because it's very pure they have been captured by tralala um and and by the idyllic nature of it and and eventually he encounters a small child and ends up she she talks about what she knows of him which is not about his great wealth but how she was her mother said that he was good at fixing dollies and as he fixes her dolly's arm you know he reflects on his childhood doing the same for his two sisters and eventually comes to you know find that the place reminds him of the scottish countryside Mm -hmm. um the sequence is great yes right yes agreed It, it it has to accomplish something like really profound in just uh really like two pages or so um which is transitioning the ducks to to being not just okay but being joyful at the prospect of living here in tralala the the nice uh, text that scrooge is saying is it's been days since i even thought about that treasure of uh whoever it was that's a real turning point for him that is a real turning point to not think about a treasure so (laughs) so you mentioned that next transition it's one week and we see that the ducks are really enjoying themselves scrooge has kind of not just resigned but he he's loving it there and donald crucially he mentions you know he he's helping a neighbor build a house and he says i'm good at it too i don't seem to constantly mess things up now that i'm free from all the pressures and responsibilities of duckburg that's a pretty poignant thing about donald right because um he's always messing things up yes and he blames it on duckburg right (laughs) yeah um and and when we transition to the nephews they're doing what woodchucks are going to do they're going to be researching kind of the history of the valley in in the old library and uh and there's a funny plot beat where one of them huey i guess says look at this man in in this manuscript written by pliny the elder in 73 a.d in volume 13 on page oh no whether that be 1106 1106 yes 1106 in the last paragraph um i'm chuckling because i had to like harry just helped me read my roman numerals there um (laughs) a fact not in the junior woodchucks manual and reservoir of inexhaustible knowledge that's a that's a funny plot beat it's a really funny joke but for months uh we thought on on the internet discussing this story at the time that it was a reference to something in a, a future Rosa story. Yeah. We thought there might be a connection between what was written there and maybe the the mother and father of the nephews. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. The, on but on the internet. It never turned out that it was that way, but people were speculating what would Rosa have meant with this? It seems like an open end. Right. While it might also have been just a very funny joke. Yeah, that's how I always read it. But but people on the internet do love to speculate. Um, <laughs> that also, I, I guess we glossed over the fact that you, you read that line that we're prisoners of paradise, right? That was a working title 
for this this story. Um, I do like what they eventually went to, right? Return to Xanadu works perfectly. There's also a piece of like early art that references a possible sequel to this. You know, in the Rosa Library, there's a page of just um, sketches that have a different interaction between the nephews and and the the Grand Llama. Um, so there was something that he he did seem like he was going to go back to do this one. He at least considered it. Um, ah, yes, I see. At any rate, so Donald and we we transition to La Dida, uh, inviting the ducks kind of to check in with them for you know afternoon tea, and he is talking about some of the history of Kublai Khan and how um, he and his army had made slaves of the people there, and it was a dark time for Tralala. And one day they left, taking the secret of Tralala to their graves, and uh, he references ultimately getting rid of all evidence of the Khan's evil occupation, which must have been how the crown floated down the river, right? And and at this point, he's going to mention, when they talk, they ask about how did the Khan bully his way in? Couldn't your people simply seal the cave entrance? Um, La Dida mentions a terrible threat that they lived under, saying that the Khan sealed the entrance himself and beyond that awful door, he guarded a mechanism of destruction. And and he goes on to say to the duck's horror that it was a device he said would stop the flow of our sacred whirlpool and flood tra-la-la to the mountaintops. So yes. Harry, what is it that the ducks with a, a spit take here have realized to their horror? Well, they left the, the door shut. They realized they never reopened it. When that huge cavern finally fills with water, things will start to get damp around here says that what i especially liked is again the mixture of visual jokes and a lot of text mm-hmm. rosa needed a lot of text for explaining what kublai khan did and other stuff and then we see on the first panel scrooge getting hot coffee on his lap and again on the third panel it's it's very funny and it doesn't matter if you don't notice it but it's very funny if you do right those are the, the details of the rosa stories that i like it is very <laughs> funny and and then as funny as that I love the duck's look of horror on the fourth panel, um, where they realize that they have become the instruments of doom, right? They This doomsday device has been here for nearly a millennium, uh, a millennia, I guess, uh, for, for many centuries, and they've just activated it. And it's had like this time delay as the cavern's been gradually filling with water. And very conveniently, it is all, you know, coming to a head as they're having this conversation conversation. But um, I love how horror stricken they are, you know, because this is a terrible catastrophe that they've just inflicted. The second time that they've inflicted uh, something terrible that could fill this valley, inundating these simple people. And this is also the last page of the first part in the American printing. It's a great cliffhanger, so to say. Yeah, yeah. This is um, this is one of the great cliffhangers in Disney comics, right? When I when I think about, I I think I learned like this year in school, rough the idea of a cliffhanger, and this is like the example that always comes to my mind mm-hmm. of a cliffhanger itself. Um, as you say, this is going to be where it's serialized in that original publication where Rosa does his catch up page, which. You 
you know, really works beautifully. And um, we're going to transition to the ducks coming. It's another moment where the ducks are walking out to the valley, right? They, they entered the valley. They walk through the valley. They see it all pastoral. Now we see them overlooking the valley with the whirlpool having stopped and walking through as it is slowly starting to flood. I can't uh, help thinking about uh, my country currently where the water is very high and <laughs> at, at several places we have to hire the dikes a bit with bags of sand to keep the water from flooding into the rest of the country. And these panels remind me of that. Yeah, I imagine. I think for... we will be fine as opposed to uh, Tralala. Right, right. I, I imagine for Dutch readers that this kind of story does hit a little bit different um so you know i really like the the as they run out of the the laws um bloody does building they scrooge says oh my aching duck feathers we've done it again donald says if we don't destroy this valley one way we'll do it another so you know the ducks are they're not <laughs> looking to hide what they've done what they're looking to do at this point is to get back to the cave as fast as possible to see what they can do about this mechanism we there's a, a really funny gag here where one neighbor complains to another uh, saying, hey, Chang, your tub overflows again. And he says, no, the sacred river Alf overflows its banks. It's, it's a little bit cartoony, but it's very funny to me. Um, there is one little sour note where Scrooge engages in a little bit of like speech to someone who asks him, honorable Scrooge, do you know anything about this? And he kind of bounces some pigeon back at him that um, you wouldn't write that today, but um, no, <laughs> I don't think it's very correct. Right. It, it's something that was, that was essentially much more conventional and commonplace for the most part. You know, Rosa doesn't do that kind of thing but it's just meant to be a funny little plot beat so i like the 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 poetic narrator box here it kind of feels in fitting with the the poem motif here he says as fast as 10 webbed feet can carry half as many ducks our heroes hurry back down the cave to the underground river where they discover unfortunately that that 700 year old bar didn't happen to rust away in the past week <laughs> and they're able to confirm through the narrow space as if there was any doubt that yeah the sluice gate is shut and so they're thinking you know what can we do we don't have time to climb over the mountains to you know try and get it back the valley is going to be inundated by then um and and now the next big plot moment you know the genesis of it is that one of the nephews say the only answer is to cut through that bar with a metal saw but the problem is harry what, what is the problem here, Harry? But there is no metal in Tralala. Right. That's what Donald says. Yeah. It, it feels very grave, right? This is the issue. The Tralala's blessing is that it, it doesn't have any metal to tempt its people. Now it also is going to prevent its salvation. So, you know, one of the nephews says, let's tell Ladida the truth. Maybe he can think of something. That's that's pretty key, right? Telling the truth was a big motif at the end of Tralala. Um, mm -hmm. And his only suggestion is to visit the High Lama who resides in the Gompa overlooking 
walking this valley, um, which is something that the Khan must have established, a sort of palace, uh, which is actually his stately pleasure dome that the Khan decreed. It is, uh, again, a nice picture. I do it like is. that that almost half-page uh, splash panel there. Yeah, I love I also that. like the, 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 the question Donald says, tra-la-la, la di so what's the Lama's name? Lama Dama Ding Dong. Right. And then the right. answer, what a strange person you are. <laughs> right. He says, no, it's Samja Fi. What a strange person you are. It, it is a funny bit. Um, so, and you know, late, later it was Rosa told us that Sam Jaffe is a known actor, I think. Sam Jaffe is referenced here. Yeah, Sam Jaffe. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know Sam Jaffe? I don't. I didn't. I didn't even catch that. Let's see. Sam Jaffe. Yeah, Sam Jaffe is an American actor and teacher um, nominated for. Did he appear in Lost Horizon or anything? I wonder. Because he was, he would have been around that era. It's related to Xanadu, Tralala, Shangri La films, I think. Yes, yes. I see here. So <laughs> this, the, thank you for pointing that out. This is a detail I didn't know. So he was the High Lama in, in Lost Horizon. And it's, in fact, a joke on a joke on a joke. The, the right. Tralala, la di da, lama dama ding dong. And then the read of things that Sam Jaffe is a, a boring real name, but it's actually, again, a reference to someone in real life. So it's another joke. Right. That, and, and that most people way, might not even get. Uh, up until you pointed <laughs> that out to me, I, I thought it was. It sounded like a real enough name to me. So that's exactly. Funny. Yeah. Um, but I do love this bit where we actually see the stately pleasure dome that, that is famed in the poem. So the High Lama, basically the point of him is that he's a very ancient looking person. We could almost picture him being around, you know, to, to remember this stuff as it happened. Although he is certainly not likely to be that old. But um, he is, he, he's a very enigmatic figure, right? And and Scrooge, in, in his moment, of stress here, you might think. He's saying, I can't be bluffed. I know that you have secrets here. He seems to have reverted back to, you know, his uh, treasure-focused old yep. self a little bit. You, you um, better spill the beans. Right. He says, and, beans, my son, I thought it was metal you saw. Right. And and so he says, um, he says, tra-la-la, like all other beauty, lies at the mercy of those who know not how to value it. And the nephews, one of the nephews says, brother, he's got that right. It's it's a very <laughs> uh, cutting line there. Um, mm -hmm. and, and they go on saying, you must help us stop the flood. And he says, you are correct, my child. I must tell you the truth. There is metal in Tralala. And it's a really striking moment. And it's the reason that Scrooge has become treasure focused because Rosa is trying to direct his readers back to the idea of this treasure pile. That's what we're supposed to be thinking about right now it's certainly what scrooge is thinking about yes <laughs> and and as the llama leads them down into a subterranean vault referencing that there is a great deal of metal brought here by outsiders years ago um scrooge is kind of just getting back into his like treasure his gold fever we get we're gonna get another big revelation here <laughs> do you want to tell us harry as what happens when they open the vault look this is more fantastic than we ever dreamed let me see let me 
PC. Whack. Oh no. And we figured this is better than you'd hoped. <laughs> and now we have plenty of steel bottle caps. It, and then such... some some recollection of the earlier Tralala story is shown. And this is the whole reason why there's been no reference. So we can have this great sleight of hand moment yes. where, you know, this he's gonna play with our expectations because these these worthless bottle caps are in fact much more valuable, even though Scrooge wouldn't want to admit it, because gold would have been too soft to cut anything away. Um, I I will also say I did not see this moment coming. Uh, a more clever reader than I might have guessed what was about to happen, but it landed per form. Yes. I, I thought it was such a funny um, and revelatory moment. Yes, and, it was. It is. I agree. To me at, too. This, at this point, the story is really kicking into urgency, right? Because we see the water level is continuing to rise. It's making it harder and harder to do things. What they have to do is, mm-hmm. is smelt some of this steel into and pour it into forms to form a set of saw blades. Um, I think that they reference, let's see. Yeah, they need several blades to be able to cut through the iron bars. So they use one blade to file teeth onto the other one um and they need to take a boat to get to the cave and uh you know, Scrooge is kind of looking ahead. He's packed away the crown as he jumps onto the boat with them, saying that if if he can't, if they can't raise the doors, but if they're able to open the doors but not raise the sluice gate, they're going to have to flee down the underground riverbed, and he doesn't want to leave the crown behind. And the nephews reference that they couldn't possibly leave them to their own, you know, couldn't abandon them. Um, and and at this point, at this point, they have one of those key moments where this. The cave that they have to get into, Harry, has flooded to the point that they have to just basically trust Donald. He is the only one that can kind of make it down. They can't all go in there. And and this really feels heartrending, right? Because this this has been more of a Scrooge story up to this point, but it really feels like a Donald story now because it's going to go to his point of view. This is certainly the part where Donald is the hero. Yes. Uh, yeah. It, it also occurred to me uh, on the, the page uh, where they enter the boat towards the cave that almost it's almost visible that the water is getting higher panel by panel. Yes. Or am yeah. I imagining at, at no, some I point Donald is waiting right. until his butt and then the next panel, the water is a few centimeters higher. And, and the next panel, they have to be in a boat because the water is all to the nose of one of the local inhabitants. It's it's really showing that the water is raising very fast. Yeah, so, it's, it, it's a masterful job of like escalating that sense of urgency. Yeah. You know, and the and fact also, that- Also with funny things, uh, uh, someone holding his child up his head and the child holding a doll up his head. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very, it's funny, very but cute. still functional thing to show. It shows right. that the water is rising very far. It's also important to have those moments of levity for a Disney comic during <laughs> these like perilous scenes. Um, yes. So, you know, Donald rushes down into that cave and it's clear that he asked to open it because <laughs> the water is filling behind him so fast. 
Um, and we get this transition to where, you know, the, the people of the valley are pleading with the ducks, you know, to somehow stop this. One of them mentions, whenever those ducks visit our happy valley, things seem to get very unhappy. Had you noticed? I love that panel. There's some great sight gags on it. I like the, I like the local that's pulling himself up by his own braid. I, I like the guy that says, uh, pretty soon things are going to get serious. Yes. The only thing on top of the water is the top of his beak. It's <laughs> yeah. very funny. Yeah, it's a great moment. Um, so, you know, Donald is able to cut through that bar by using all of the saw blades and on his very last breath of air. It's very suspenseful. Um, of course. He says it's mm. it's now or never. And, and we feel like it's a triumphant moment, but he hasn't yet opened the sluice gate. You know, that's what's actually going to save the people of the valley. Um, and we did see all of the ducks do it, you know, together. Basically, it took four ducks to do it previously, yeah. and now Donald has to has to do it himself. And there's this very dramatic, very wrenching moment here where he is, he's almost given up. And he kind of stares into the lantern that he's brought in, saying, Yet living in Tralala this week, free from irritants like Gladstone Gander and Neighbor Jones, I was able to do things right for a change. I can do anything if I truly set my heart on it. And it's up to me and me alone to save the kids and Uncle Scrooge and all of Tralala. And he kind of gives himself this mantra, you know, I can do it. I must do it. I will do it. Um, and he pops up triumphantly and shouts Donald Duck to the rescue and he uses an iron bar for leverage and he does it. And and Harry, this, I don't know, but I, I love this scene. It, it feels very dramatic. I can see it annoying some people um, because the ducks aren't, quote, supposed to be straight up heroic like this. Um, but I love it. It's, this it's, really it has kind a, of a function in the story. It's a... It, when I first read it, I thought it was a bit exaggerated and, and typical American, maybe, or something we see in American movies. Yeah. And I think the first panel of the page where Donald is saying, Donald Duck to the rescue, uh, might be a scene from a movie somewhere. Maybe even the, the, the text is referring to a movie scene. I wouldn't know, but it, it has its function in the story and it's one of the uh, crucial points in the story. So right. it, uh, I'll, I'll forgive Rosa for that. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. It feels very cinematic and it feels to me, it feels very American storytelling um, in a way that I, I really appreciate. It's nice to see Donald get this moment of triumph and how he almost, he, he's not literally hypnotizing himself, but it almost feels like a mantra or something yeah. um so he's done it you know he's saved the valley and the whirlpool restarts and um what has happened is the ducks are in this boat and they are on the verge now there's another moment of peril they're on the verge of getting sucked into this whirlpool um i did not notice originally reading this there is a certain crucial detail that you can just see for yourself right Right on the page where they start to get jostled by the water gushing in. Do you know if you noticed it? Yeah, well, on the one, two, three, four, fifth panel of the page, Scrooge is 
letting uh, loose. How do you say that? It's it's is losing his bag, and the bag is presumably containing a crown that he tried to rescue just in case they got right. out. Then because we saw him act it away, but I didn't. Yeah. I didn't have that moment where oh no, the crown. Um, which I imagine is what Rosa wanted. He wanted it to be yeah. visible, but not obvious. Yes, I, that that's why it's in a bag. It's very smart, actually. And so the ducks do get sucked down into the whirlpool. It's a very cool scene. Um, I, in that that's, there's another half page I love art wise. Yeah, where the, the, the panel borders are just whirled in like like the whirlpool is, and it, it has a very nice effect. Yeah, I love it when he plays around with the panel architecture like that. It's something that you know you can only do this in comic books, so why not do it right? <laughs> and and this is very convenient. Right, because Donald has essentially smashed the mechanism so that no one's going to be able to to mess around and endanger them anymore, um, which is a very noble thing to have done. Or maybe it just happened as part of him trying to wrench it open. But now he's trapped on the, quote, wrong side. And he sees if he can swing over. Um, and as he's pondering that he'll never see his family again, he lands right in their boat. <laughs> um, and, and Thinking of a Duck Sand movie. <laughs> right. Yes. Duck Zan movies. This is all very convenient, but it all feels very organic, right? This is a great way to get the ducks out of the valley. Um, they're flying down the river this time. They're going too fast to even try and jump off and make it to that trail. So, oh, and and because the the flood has now collapsed the cave, fact. Um, so so they have this terrible moment where they they have to basically hang on for the ride through as much of this tunnel as is still intact. Um, they rush, they rush through for hours, and eventually the water flow takes them into an underground river. And I like this this next part, Harry. They're going to come out in a, a a scene that we probably recognize from Tra La La, where the nephews originally identified the source of, um, you know, where where the water essentially came from. They're going to emerge from this fountain. <laughs> One of the ducks say we're on a fast boat to China. Is that a reference to something? Um, no, I don't think it is. I could be mistaken. But but yeah, the idea is that this is just taking them back down. Uh, it could well be, though. And now Maybe we're gonna... a, a film title or something, Fast Boat to yeah. China. Not not that I'm aware of, but it's okay. interesting that they've come so far that they're now going to come on the other side of the base of the Himalayas, India now um, at this, you know, this fountain that we did see in Tra La La. And um, they are all OK. But this is a pretty devastating ending, right? Because the people of Tra La La know that the ducks have saved them. They don't know that the ducks are okay. Um, the ducks have been, quote, exiled from paradise. And, and they say, they're reflecting, well, Tralala is safe, but fate flushed us out, and we better stay out. We in that valley cause each other bad luck. And uh, that goes double for Scrooge, because Harry, what has happened? My pack with the crown of Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. It must have fallen overboard. Yeah, we saw that happening, didn't we? We, we <laughs> did see that happening, although we might have had to have 
um, on age back a little bit to have noticed. Indeed. So this this is pretty like uh, notable, right? Scrooge losing one of his legendary treasures is um, not not something that not the way that these stories usually go, right? This is something different and unique. There is one thing that Rosa once said that in his stories, Scrooge never gets to to win anything valuable, uh, money wise. I mean. If he's on the treasure hunt, he never gets the treasure. He gets other things, but not the treasure. But yeah. this story goes one step further. He loses something he already had. And that's indeed unique. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you, you kind of imagine that Rosa is going through kind of maybe a bit of a reassessment where he's already got most of these tokens, his treasures here. Um, he's not interested. He's more interested in the stories, the adventures, than mm-hmm. necessarily adding to his trophy room hall, although there are going to be new trophies. Well, uh, Scrooge, in, in Rosa's story, Scrooge is aiming for adding to his treasure room, but he's not succeeding. Rosa doesn't let him keep the treasures that he's after. Yeah, that's just that's... just look it look it up in other stories. You will see that. Yeah, I mean, I for think some the reason, son of, Rosa the son of the sun, you know. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that, that's that's an one example. Motif to point out. Yeah, I'll I'll have to do that. I'll definitely have to look those. Um, this epilogue page, I got a really boy. It has to be done justice. So the the ducks wander off, and Scrooge is talking about something very uncharacteristic: the need to take a vacation because he has mm-hmm. a strange yen to visit. At the green hills of Scotland, and the epilogue takes place back in Tralala, where they, where he goes back and tracks down what happens to the crown. Um, and it, and it's been found by a villager lying in his rice paddy. And Master Ladi Da ponders how it is a mystery how those ducks had this evil thing. Our ancestors discarded this and all such remnants of the terrible Kublai Khan. Um, back. Oh, and now even the hero ducks have been lost due to the power of this wicked relic back into the sacred whirlpool with this corrupting bauble may it never again return and and harry <laughs> do you want to describe what we see in that very last panel well we see the bottom of the lake where the crown is entering because ladida just put it there and a lot of treasure boxes and other valuable things that Scrooge might have had an interest in, but never knew it was there. It is That's... such a gut punch. Man, yeah. when you yeah. see yeah. this treasure that was just a, a few hundred feet beneath the ground in Tralala, and it, and it has been there the whole time, I, I think this is one of his all-time best endings, and it's a real, like... <laughs> thundering moment it it i gasped when i saw this yeah it it makes me think now that the ducks have passed that whirlpool didn't they Mm -hmm. previously in the story and they didn't notice the treasure being there probably because of the water whirling around all the time and and, or or maybe the the treasure was someone else and it came became here because of the currents of the flow from this story. I so I'll tell you, my my read is that it's in the sunless sea, right? Immediately below the whirlpool, that, that mm. the whirlpool sweeps, has swept it down, and it must be just down um, down in that dome, right? Or in, in that sunless sea, I think is where it's implied to be. But whether it's in the bottom of the lake where the whirlpool is, or in the sunless dome, it is just tantalizingly right there. 
Yeah, yeah, and so the crown is ending up somewhere else from where the ducks went a few pages before. Yeah, and, yeah, and it, okay, okay, it's been <laughs> reunited with the rest of the Mongol treasure. Of board, course, it, um, yeah, yeah, which you know is this fantastic treasure, but it also, frankly, probably represents the slaughter and the subjugation of people of Tralala from from back, you know, centuries before. They did not lose anything if they don't value it, and they don't value it, right? Because they have better values for life. So yes. it doesn't matter. Exactly. It's only a value for Scrooge and the like. I have to say, Harry, this this is a gut punch of an ending. I think this is one of his best endings of all time. And and he he tends to be very good at his endings. This is one of my favorites. It, it reminds me of the ending of His Majesty McDuck, mm-hmm. where there's also some kind of, if you look at the panel, the, the end panel very carefully, you realize what is happening there. And the right. same is here. I, At first, I see the crown falling, and then I realize that there is a lot of treasure already there. That's two, two plot lines ending. He is losing something he already had, and he is not gaining something he could have. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it, a, it's such a it's an amazing ending. I agree. Poignant moment. Again, mm-hmm. there's a certain, I can imagine the score falling out. So, so let's wrap this up, Harry. I, I love this story. I think this is pretty close to a perfect sequel. It it helps that I I landed, everything landed just right for me. And I think I read this exactly the way that your quote's supposed to, you know, when where I had at least enough familiarity with the the previous stories. But yes. the, the great confluence of how he weaves together these past bark stories and all this real history and literature, this is to me is one of his masterpieces. And is certainly <laughs> this is definitely in my top 10 of his stories, probably in my top five or so. I just I love this story so much. If if you make a top of Rosa stories, it's in my top two. And I don't recall by head what the other one is. So it's, yeah. it's one of his very best. It really is. I think during this uh, last two hours, uh, you taught me more about the story than I taught you. I think I have the impression that my addition to this talk is not as big as yours. That's, uh, I, I, I've got to disagree because you pointed out at least one thing that was totally new to me. And and I think okay, that's the, one. the act, though, <laughs> of talking about these stories, oh, that's yes, part, it's... Of, part of what, what lets you realize things about them. Thank you for reading the story again to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, it, it's oh. such a great way to repeat them. You know, so yeah. as as the proprietor of Index, right, We all, I always like to check in on the community reaction. And this one is, as you might expect, very well regarded. This one um, is currently rated 7.7, rank number 121 on the all-time by Index users. So it's pretty close to the, to the you know, top 100. Out of all of Rose's stories, it's number 22 of all of his, which puts it in the top 28th percentile of his stories. Um, yeah, so that's a bit, think, a bit low, but probably people like Scro- uh, The Life of Scrooge better. And Yeah, I mean, if you I treat those as I one, like this one more than any Life of Scrooge story. I, I think I agree with you. I think that this is a little bit like, you you know, you look at that as, as one story and maybe it compares, but individual mm. chapters, not so much. This, this, this the, is The problem him. with, sorry, interrupt but the no, problem fine. with the life of Scrooge stories is that a lot of them have too few pages. And 
at, at some point, Eggman told uh, Rosa to, to have maximum of 16 pages or so for a chapter. Some chapters are even 12 pages. That's right. not enough for stories that Rosa made. And this one is a 31-pager. It's it's a perfect size for a story like this. It could even yeah. be longer. It could have been a 44-page story. It really I gets still love time it. to breathe, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's perfect in length. I'm glad, ultimately, that the reference to a possible sequel was a excluded because I think this hits just right. I, I think this is as close to a perfect story as just about any that you're going to find. And it's singular among how um, the sense of despair at the end is a really unique thing. Uh, and then the sense of loss is really something special in this story. The the near cataclysm of this one. Um, I just love it. Really it has quickly, a, just a lot of uh, themes in it uh, about the artwork work yeah. just realized most pages are eight panels mm-hmm. later on rosa started to make pages with 12 panels because he had a lot of things to tell and needed a lot of text and a lot of images to to tell the story which made them not that good for looking and this is still the stage where he made beautifully looking pages so that's yeah. also what i like about this why i like this story more than the life of scrooge story. it is a real gorgeous to look at do you um do you have any favorite panels uh that really stand out to you i like to mention that i think i mentioned them before that the yeah. half face splash panel yeah they, and they're very the, and the, the cliffhanger panel where the, the llama is looking at the the whirlpool uh, seeing it has stopped for some reason i like that panel too maybe because it was a cliffhanger or i don't know but it's still in my mind a very good very good panel yeah those are easy easy choices to make here um and the rest is just I like word jokes, so I I do like the Lama Dama Ding Dong reference and stuff like that. Right, and which that was from like a, a novelty. Is, that, that was from a novelty pop song in the Who Put the Who bomb, Put the right? Some yeah. Something Something. I know you know. The Lama Dama Ding Dong. Yeah. For the sake of of completion, I wanted to mention it for anyone. Yeah, it's a funny bit. So Harry, thank you so much for revisiting this story. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Um, I sometimes point people to you are again index anytime you use index.org you you can think about Harry um and <laughs> don't think of too much about me uh, actually well, I know it's a collaboration there, there's obviously. a bunch of people keeping it uh, alive last time it was broke I did do nothing myself but a, uh, some other people did a lot of effort to make it work again right so it's the the, the, the fame is for them not for me there you go well said. Um, and people should check us out. Barks, or rather Rosa Remarks, has its own Facebook page and is sometimes on Instagram. And uh, check us out next time when we get to cover we get to cover the duck who fell to earth. Harry, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you.